As we wrap up our series on Christ-centered relationships, I was thinking about what to speak on, and I just felt like it would be important for us, as I was praying over you guys, just to reorient our hearts into what it means to, to truly love each other. I think that God has given us so many giftings. I think that God has given us so many talents. And when I look at you guys, and when I am thinking about our congregation in particular, I think God has truly gifted our church with so many talented, driven, and ambitious people. And yet what the Bible says is that if you have not love, those things are all worthless. And so church, once again, I want to remind you that the most important gift that God has given you is the ability to love God and to love others. You know, there's this, there was this famous pastor in Korea. He's passed away now, but he was one of the first main pastors to start the revival that happened in Korea during the 80s and 90s. And, and he was part of a church called Sarangye Kyoe, right? It's, a church, it's like Church of Love. It's a, I can't translate it well in English, but it was called Church of Love, right? And for this pastor, he, he was very influential to a lot of different pastors and, and a lot of different people. But there's this interesting story that, that would be passed around from his staff, and, and it's that when they would have their staff meetings, he would never ask about the number of people that would be in their ministries. He would never ask about like, how they were growing in those different numerical ways or whatever. The only thing that he would worry about, the only thing that he would think about, the only thing he would ask is, how is this one person doing? How is this one family doing? And the only reason he would ever get upset is when something was happening to a certain member of the church and none of the staff knew about it. When the family was going through a crisis, when a family was going through family problems or going through surgery or something was happening and none of the staff realized it, that's when he would get so, so upset. Because you see, this pastor, his entire philosophy of ministry, even when he was younger when he first started the church to even when it became a mega church was always the same it was always the same it never changed once and that philosophy of ministry was one person one family one church that was it for him he was all in on concentrating on one person he said one person at a time that's all you have to think about one family at a time that's all you have to think about and for him you see that church even as influential as it was, even as great as it was for us to see, it didn't have some crazy vision. It didn't have some great mission statement. It wasn't filled with extraordinary people. They just all bought into this philosophy. They all bought into this concept of, look, let's concentrate on one person. Let's concentrate on one family. And let's make this one church. And because of this, because of this mindset, because of this heart, God used him powerfully to change so many people's lives. You know, in my own time of ministry, as short as it is, I've realized this to be true. Because for myself, I, I can tend to concentrate on the vision. I can tend to concentrate on structure. I can tend to concentrate on these other things. But more and more as I've gone through ministry, I've realized that the most important thing that God has called me to is to care for you. 
the most important thing that God has called me to as a pastor and as a brother in Christ is to love you and go all in with you. That's it. Because what I've realized is that mission will come later. Vision will come later. Structure, that's all naturally going to transpire as time goes on and as we get to know each other better. Those things are organic. But loving each other, that is a first priority. And that is what God has called us to do with one another. And church, I want to remind you of that. Because as we continue to give you more serving opportunities, as you continue to open up different events and different ministries and different things that you can do, I want to remind you that your calling is not to be in praise team. Your calling is not to be in life group. Your calling is not to do this ministry or that ministry or that event or that event. Your calling is to love God and love others. That is what you are called to do. Everything else will be a natural result of that. And that's why I felt that it would be important for us to go through this passage. You see, 1 Corinthians 13 is an extremely famous passage. It's one that Christians and many non-Christians have heard before. It's preached during weddings. It's taught at dating seminars. It's hung up on our walls. It's, it has all of that, right? And I think there's good reason for that. Because this passage, it really does show us what true love really is. Because when you read it, when you look at it more closely, Paul, he doesn't use any emotions to describe what love is. He actually only uses verbs. He's reminding us that the essence of love is not just some emotional high, it's not having butterflies in your stomach. It is a committed act of doing. It is being kind. It is being gentle. It is being patient to one person again and again and again. And so for us, as we head into this new season of our church, I hope that these words are a challenge and an encouragement to you. And that above everything, that you would seek to love God and to love others. Now in this sermon, it's going to be pretty simple. It's just two, uh, two points that we're going to explore. First is the importance of love. And second is, that, is the person of love. Okay. Now, Corinth, of all cities in the ancient world, I would say is most like New York or Washington, D.C. Uh, and the reason why is because you could say that the city of Corinth was a major hub for trade and for commerce. Now, what that meant was because the city was a major trade for all of those different things and there was so much money going in and out, was that people didn't necessarily go to Corinth to settle down and have a family. What people would do is that they would go to Corinth in order to make it big. They would go to Corinth in order to gain status, in order to gain money, in order to gain respect. And so as a result, this city of Corinth was filled, it was filled with driven, ambitious, successful, and competitive people. Now, 
That's why it's also not surprising that in the church of Corinth, that the members reflected the population. Because these members, these Christians, they were also extremely competitive. But the thing is, it's interesting because these people in the church, they were taught pretty well because, you know, Paul was the one who set up this church. And so he set up good leaders, he set up all these things. And so these people, these Christians, they knew that they shouldn't be overly competitive with one another in terms of finance. They know that money isn't everything. These Christians, they understood that they shouldn't be overly competitive when it came to status or popularity. But what ended up happening was that little by little, they started to become competitive in their spiritual giftings. Now, what they would do is that they would begin to rank their spiritual gifts and the spiritual gifts of others with themselves. And they would say, okay, this is of first importance, this is second, this is third, and this is just kind of like like the leftover stuff. And so naturally, what would happen is that the church would begin to get divided. Naturally, what would happen is that gossip would begin to occur. Because some of these spiritual gifts, some of them would have it, and they would be a lot more open and a lot happier, and then they would kind of look down on other people. And the reason why is because there were some spiritual gifts that were more public. And they would hold these as the greatest spiritual gifts. And what happened is that these spiritual gifts became a way for them to build up their own importance and their own status rather than building up the church. You see, God had given us these good things in order to build unity. God had given us these good things in order to love each other, to care for one another. And yet what ended up happening in the church of Corinth was that they ended up using these gifts in order to build up their own esteem, in order to build up their own reputation, and they didn't care about the unity of the church, and they didn't care about other people. These gifts were a way for people to love themselves rather than as a means to love their fellow brothers and sisters. Now, don't misunderstand what's happening because Paul, he is not saying that spiritual gifts are wrong. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians 12, 31, which is the verse right before what we read, it says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Paul, he's affirming these spiritual gifts. He's saying yes and amen to them. He's saying you should want them. You should desire them. They are good things. But as good as these gifts are, the gift of love is so much more important. He's saying as good as these spiritual gifts are, if you do not have love, if you are not thinking about the other person, if you are not trying to build unity within other people and within the church, it is meaningless. What you're doing is spiritually meaningless. You see, for the next few verses, Paul goes in on verses 1 to 3 to describe how meaningless it is to have the greatest spiritual gifts without love. Verse 2, it says, And if I have prophetic, prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Now, 
What's interesting is that when we read this, we think of, okay, faith to, to move mountains, that, that probably means just having you know, some really, really strong faith. But scholars actually all agree that when Paul talks about faith to move or remove mountains, he's not talking about saving faith. He's talking about the gift of leadership. He's talking about this gift that some people have who are so charismatic, who are so visionary, that they are able to gather a group of people who normally would not be able to do something, who would not be able to cross an obstacle, and he would be able to encourage and guide them in a way that these people would be able to move mountains. This is a spiritual gifting that he's talking about here. It's a gift of having a vision so secure that people are infected by it. Now, when Paul talks about prophecy, he's not talking about false prophets. He's not talking about sometimes having dreams and sometimes those things becoming true. No, he's talking about direct revelations from God. He's saying that these are things that this person has seen given by God that no one else has seen. These are direct revelations from the Lord. And that should kind of scare us a little bit, church. Because what Paul is saying is that, look, God can make you into a great leader. You can have all the traits and characteristics to be this great visionary who is able to mobilize hundreds, if not thousands of people to change so many people's lives, to be able to plant orphanages and all of these different things all over the world. You're able to have prophecies given by the Lord, direct revelations from God that people are able to hear and their lives may be able to change. And yet, if you are doing it for yourself, it is absolutely meaningless. It is spiritually meaningless. You see, Paul, he is saying something deeper than just, you should love one another because, you know, that's a good thing to do. He's saying something much, much deeper than that because what Paul is saying is that the motivation of our heart is a clearer indication of our salvation than the results of our giftings. Let me say that one more time. The motivation of our heart is a clearer indication of our salvation than the results of our giftings. In other words, even if it looks like you have produced nothing, if you are motivated by love, then you can be more assured of your salvation than somebody else who is able to do so much more, and yet their motivation is towards themselves. A lot of us think of that phrase, the ends justify the means. None of the Bible is the complete opposite of that. Don't look at the ends. Don't look at the results. Look at the motivations of your heart. And it's why when pastors come together, one of the greatest temptations for them is to always talk about the number of people within their church. And that's always going to be one of the things that, that holds people, and especially when it comes to pastors. And yet, what the truth of the Bible says is, look, it's not about how many people you have, it's about how many people are changed truly within that church through what you have cared for and what you have done for them through love. Are you really loving them? Are you really caring for them? Are you really going all in for them? Because there are so many churches in this world that have thousands, thousands of people, and yet those pastors are going to go up to heaven, and Jesus will say, I never knew you. 
You see, Jonathan Edwards, he speaks on this passage. And he says, look, being a non-Christian and having a spiritual gift, those things can happen together. Those things are able to coexist. There are people who don't believe in Jesus Christ that still are able to do these spiritual gifts. He reads out Matthew 7 where it says, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name have we not cast out demons? And in your name have we not done many miracles? But Jesus will say to many of them, I never knew you. Don't rely on your spiritual giftings for your assurance of salvation. Look at your heart, church. Look at your heart. It is possible to give your talents to the service of God and not give your heart to God. Be careful of this. Be careful of this. Your spiritual giftings, that's, there is a correlation with that to your relationship with God, but it is not causation, okay? Keep in mind that the church in Corinth was considered the most gifted church that Paul had ever planted. Keep in mind that the church in Corinth was considered one of the most gifted church in that time. And yet, Paul is rebuking them because as gifted as they were, they were exercising these gifts without love. They didn't care about the unity of the church. They just wanted to lift themselves up. They didn't care about the other people. They didn't care about loving and caring and giving all of themselves to their brothers and sisters. They cared about themselves, and they used their spiritual gifts in that way. Now, how does this apply to us? Well, I think it applies pretty directly. When I look at you guys, when I look at Shining Star as a whole, I really do believe that, man, God has really blessed us with so many talented, so many gifted people, just like how the Church of Corinth was. And look, it's a natural thing to desire to serve in places where maybe it's a bit more visible and could receive some type of recognition. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that if it's done for the glory of God when your heart is in the right place. Think about it. It's not, it's not a bad thing to, to want recognition for the glory of God. That's a good thing. This past, uh, I think it was, it was two weeks two weeks ago, I was able to go to an SBC conference with Pastor Lim. And during that time, during the conference, he didn't even realize it, but they actually honored him and uh, his wife for uh, 20 years of faithful ministry in one church. I mean, that's a great recognition. That's an awesome thing to be recognized for, for the glory of God. I mean, should he have gone there and gone in and, and just thrown it on the ground? Of course not, no. It is a good thing to be recognized for what you are doing for God's glory. But the warning of the passage is, is recognition your main motivation of your heart. Is your status the main motivation of your heart when you are giving and when you are serving? If it is, then you have to be careful. If it is, then repent and turn back now. Others of you, on the other hand, don't feel gifted at all. You're not that articulate. 
you can't play an instrument, and you are tone-deaf like crazy. Amen? Okay, no. To put it in layman terms, in, church, in the church PE class, you're always picked last, right? And I know, I know, that's really discouraging because even if you feel like there could be some place that you could offer up some of the, the talents and the gifts that you may a little bit have, you always know that maybe there's someone better who could be doing that. Now, there's something better that, that, that God could use in, in those areas. If that's you, then the irony is that you have fallen into the same trap as the people in Corinth are in. Because in your heart, you have elevated the importance of spiritual gifts over the motivation of love. Church, we do not need you to be the greatest communicator. We do not need you to be the greatest musician. We desire faithful Christians who desire to love God and love others. That's it. Trust me, we're not going to care about these other aspects. We can grow in that together. The main thing is, is your heart in the right place? Because guess what? When you have done ministry long enough, one thing is certain. If someone is super talented, you always have to be a little wary of them. Always a little, a little cautious. Because a lot of times they're going to serve but those are also some of the same people who quickly run away and go to a different church when things get hard. They quickly go to a different place when, when things get a little difficult, when they face some opposition. And yet the people who are silent, the people who are quiet, and yet you know their hearts are in the right place, you know that they're praying for the church, those are the people that you can build the church upon. Those are the people who truly understand what love is, who truly desire and care for the unity of the church above them themselves. Look, when someone is going through difficult times, the church does not need your spiritual gifting. The church desires a love that, when it's quoted here, bears all things. What the church needs are people who are able to bear the burden and the hurts of others around them. And they need people who are patient and willing to endure those things and not run away. Because no matter how gifted you are, if you don't have love, then look, Paul is saying, look, everything else is going to fade away. All of the other stuff is temporal. All of the other stuff is going to just go, go off like the dust. And so what Paul does is in the next section, he then describes what love is. And he says these famous, famous words, right? Love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, and it is not boastful. It's some of the most famous words of the Bible. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of us wonder, I mean, what was Paul thinking of when he wrote this? Was he maybe sitting down one day with a quill pen and parchment, and he decided to say to himself, what is love? to be or not to be, right? What, what, is, what is love? What, what, are, what, is this, what is this abstract thing? Let me, let me, you know, do a little prose. Let me do a little, you know. What, what was his thought process when he was writing this? 
What I can tell you is that it wasn't just some type of epiphany. What I can tell you is that he didn't have some type of Shakespearean moment of love. Because when you look at the entire letter of Corinthians, Paul, what he's doing is reprimanding the Corinthians for acting in an unloving way. And so chapter 13 is the description of love to describe everything that they're not. It's interesting because almost all of the Greek words that he uses to describe love, he uses it before in previous chapters to talk about what they were doing, about how unloving they were, about how envious, about how unkind, about how impatient they were to one another. So he's saying, you're not being patient, but guess what? Love is patient. You're not being kind, but love is kind. You're not being humble, but love is humble. You may be talented, you may be gifted, but you are worthless if you do not have love. And then look, church, I think that this is a sober reminder for many of us because I think that this applies to us as well. It's not just to the Corinthian church. How many of us can truly say that we encompass all of these traits? How many of us can really say that we act in love to one another? Try it. I want you just to put your name in place of some of these traits. When it says love is patient, put Danny is patient, Joe is patient, Eunice is patient, Ginny is patient. Can you say, can you say all of these different things with your name in there? I'd be hard-pressed to find one person. If you do, then please come see me. I want to talk to you a little bit. <laughs> not one person can live up to this list, not back then and not now. This list describes love, what love is, what love should be, but what we fail to be. But I want you to know that although this list describes everything that we are not, this is a better description of everything that Jesus is. This list of love is a description of God, church. And it's the way that he loves us through Jesus Christ. So yes, this may be a description of how the church was back then. This may be a description of how we need to be. But man, this is a better description of the character and of the person of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. You see, Paul, he could have phrased it in so many different ways. This was a really important topic for the Corinthian church to hear. And like in his, other, in his other books, he could have said, he could have used imperatives. He could have used commands. He could have said, look, be patient, be kind, be humble. He could have said that, but no, he doesn't. He says, love is patient, love is kind, love is humble. He uses the grammatical tool of personification to turn the concept of love into a person. Now, church, why would Paul do this? Because before our church started 20 years ago, before the Corinthian church started hundreds of years ago, before even Adam and Eve were created thousands of years ago, God was. And the Bible tells us that the perfect description of God is love. 1 John 4, 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Church, our God is love. 
And the most important thing that you can do is to understand that reality within your own heart. It's to understand that God is love and that what he's done for you is the greatest love story that has ever existed. Because here's the thing, church. If that understanding is within your heart, that is the only way that you will truly love others in the same way that 1 Corinthians 13 tells us to. If you understand that Jesus was patient with you, even in your impatience, if you understand that Jesus was kind to you, if you understand that Jesus was gentle to you, then it's going to be those truths that flow from you in the way that you treat other people. If that truth isn't within your heart, if you don't believe that, then the way that you treat other people is going to come from only yourself. And guess what? Your love has a limit. Your love has a point where you can't go more than that. And that's what happens with so many of us is that we forget this truth. We forget what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. We forget that God is love and that he cares for us deeply and that he is on our side. And when we forget that, we tend to give from our own hearts only, and that's when burnout occurs. What God has called you to is not to be the source, it's to be a vessel. And that should give you so much more comfort you're not meant to be the source of love. You're not meant to be the source of kindness. You're not meant to be the source of gentleness. You're simply meant to be a vessel where God is able to work through you. 2 Timothy 2.21, it says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart for what is holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. If you truly want to be a loving person in the way that 1 Corinthians 13 describes, then you have to have the understanding that you are loved in this way. You are loved in this way. You are loved in this way. That is the gospel, church. The gospel doesn't just save us from our sins. The gospel changes our lives so that we are born again. It transforms us. So from that moment that you are saved, from the moment that you experience God's love, the moment that you understand what God has done for you and the patience and the characteristics of what he's done, it changes your life so that you are drawn more and more into the image of God and so that the way you treat others will grow and grow as well. The way that you treat others, you will love them more than you did yesterday. You will care for them more than you did yesterday. And you will do all of those things more than you did yesterday. This is the only way that we will love others with the right heart. Church, as we move into this new season of our church with many changes and many things to look forward to, I pray that your focus would not be on the thousand other things that you could be focused on. I pray and I hope that you would focus upon one person, one family, and one church. Amen? Let's pray.